Welcome to the teaching ministry of Steve Franklin. Steve's calling is to coach champions in the kingdom of God. Our prayer for you as you listen to this word of encouragement and instruction is that you'll be built up in your faith and encouraged to take the next step in your development as one of God's true champions. Here's Steve. In our study on spiritual warfare, we saw in 2 Timothy uh, chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, that we are to endure hardship as good soldiers of Jesus Christ. You say, well, Pastor, I didn't sign up to be in a war. Well, guess what? When you receive the Lord, all the forces of hell have come against you whether you know it or not. And so you're in war whether you know it or not. I... Um, that next verse has really haunted me. No soldier engaged. So you can be a soldier but not engaged. No soldier in, engaged in active duty entangles himself. Remember what we said, you're either engaged or you're entangled. No soldier engaged in active warfare entangles himself in the things of this world. Let me ask you something. Have you found that if we're not careful that we can get so distracted by all the stuff going on in this world, all the strife, all the ugliness, all the division, all the, the incredible challenges of, of pandemics and riots and, and fights, that we take our eyes off the one who has already won the ultimate victory. I want to remind you, are you listening? And I know these days are full of pressure as we head toward a national election in this country. I want to remind you that there is no person, no president, no party that can fix this nation. Only the Spirit of God and a kingdom agenda. It's in the heart that true change and lasting change needs to come. So what the Lord has stirred me to do more is to do more prayer about where we are and where we're heading than listening to what somebody's spin on it is. The kingdom of God is greater than any system in this world. And that's where we need to go and pray for the authority and the, and the will of God to be done. Now, we're in this warfare, and back in Ephesians 6, we saw in the Word that we ought to do something about it, and that is verse 10, beginning chapter 6, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Everybody say it with me. I don't have the power to win in spiritual warfare, but Jesus does, and I am in Him. But it's not enough just to know you're in Him. Look at the next verse, verse 11. Put on the whole armor of God. Everybody say it with me. If I don't put on the armor, I'm going to get hurt really bad because you're in a warfare. 
Put on the armor. Well, how often should I do that? Every time the Spirit brings this to our attention. I know I'm supposed to do it every day. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles. The word there we saw is methodios in the Greek, the carefully devised methods of the devil. Understand that the enemy is not omniscient, but he is an incredible observer. He knows where you and I are vulnerable because he has carried out a study on the children of God. Because to attack the children of God is to attack the Father God. Put on that whole armor that you may be able to stand. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. That is, people are not our problem. Hey, did you know that? People are not our problem. But against principalities, powers, the rulers of the darkness of this age, and the spiritual host of wickedness in the heavenly places, We saw last week in chapter 1 of Ephesians, verses 20 to 23, that Jesus is already defeated and has authority over all principalities, powers, might, dominion, and rulers of this world. He has that authority. God broke the power of death, and God broke the power of principalities and powers, and the Bible says that every demonic spirit saw him when he ascended to take his seat of victory at the right hand of the Father, and there wasn't a thing they could do about it. That's where the victory is, folks. It's in Christ. You're either walking in victory or you're a victim. And a lot has to do with putting on the whole armor. Look at verse 13. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand... So we keep seeing that word stand. Looks what the next verse, 14. Stand, therefore. Stand. But don't stand until you've done these things, having girded your waist with truth. Two weeks ago, we talked about the waist belt of truth. We talked about how he is an essential first weapon. That that's where, in the abdominal muscles, where the strength for fighting comes And that, the truth, the Word of God, is essential for us to win. Having put on the breastplate of righteousness. What a time we had last week, Jeff, when we talked about the gift of righteousness. How God sees you in Christ Jesus. How He broke the grip of shame off of you. What, and boy, what a day. What a word from God. And we praise the Lord for that breastplate of righteousness. Okay, we put that on every day. The truth of the Word, we put on that breastplate of righteousness. How does that look to you? I don't know, but I was so mired in shame and condemnation that when I heard the message about the gift of righteousness, I had to get up every day, and I had to begin to look myself in the eyes and say, Here's what the Word of God says. The Word of God says that God made him who knew no sin to be sin on my behalf that I might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I say what God says in Ephesians 1, that he sees me as holy and righteous and blameless and loved and accepted in Christ Jesus. How long did you do that? Until I really believed it. You say, well, you're trying to teach yourself something or convince yourself something's true. No, I had to break the power of all the lies and and the condemnation of the evil one by the power of the Word of God. That Word of God is the truth. 
And so our next weapon here uh, we see is then we put on the shoes. Have your feet shod. That is, that means put the shoes on. Put your shoes on. You're not going to be able to win in the battle against somebody coming at you with your flip-flops on. You've got to put on some warrior shoes. And in the spirit realm, that is peace. Boy, look at that, peace. What is peace? Listen, peace is not the absence of problems. Peace is not the absence of issues. Peace is internal order, a place of order on the inside of you that is brought on by the spirit of peace, the Holy Spirit. It's a place where circumstances can get haywire, but inside you there's an inner witness, uh, there's an assurance, there's a strength. There's an inner witness that all is well, regardless of what you see saying all is not well. It is a knowing on the inside. It is internal order. External order doesn't have to be there. But internal order is peace. And that is the power that we have to walk out this spiritual warfare. Do you have peace? It's already on the inside of you through the Holy Spirit of peace. Are you accessing peace? It's a fight sometimes to access peace, isn't it? We have to fight sometimes to stand on that peace. And that's where we probably need to go somewhere like what Jesus said, John 14, 1, do not let your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives, do I give unto you. Philippians 4, 4 through 8 is a powerful one, Ted. It's powerful. Rejoice in the Lord always. Don't, do not, listen, the Lord is at hand don't be anxious about anything. Instead, in everything by prayer and supplication, let your request be made known to God. The, the shoes of peace. That internal order that God gives us by His Spirit. I want you to turn with me now to the right, to Colossians chapter 3, and I want to show you something. Peace when you're, when you're in a mess or when you're confused, God's peace is what confirms to you whether the next step you're taking is the right one or whether it's the wrong one. The, it is confirmation or restraint. Colossians 3, we see in verse 13 that we're to bear with one another and forgive one another, whoever has a complaint against, forgive just like Christ forgave you. Hey, did Christ forgive you? Bible says he forgave you of all your sins and trespasses. So how much can we not forgive somebody who's hurt us? Uh, that's not an option if we follow the Lord. Forgive above all these things, verse 14, put on love which is the bond of perfection, and let the peace of God. Did it say, make the peace of God happen? No, it says, let, permit the peace of God. It's already in you by the Holy Spirit. Let the peace of God rule 
That word in the Greek means act as an arbitrator. It means in the, in the Roman games, it, rem- it means that somebody calling something out are safe. So the Holy Spirit will call things out of bounds or safe if we will listen to the voice of peace. The voice of peace is the voice that gives us confirmation to take the next right step or to step back and wait a minute. Let the peace of God act as an arbitrator. Let the peace of God be the umpire in our inner man. What a powerful, powerful past. I know so many times when Dean and I have decisions to make, sometimes it's hard to really hear clearly what the next right step should be. And if you think that uh, decisions get easier as you get older, you're wrong. Can anybody say amen? (laughs) And so we listen for the internal witness of peace. And if one of us has it and the other one doesn't, we wait till the other one does because we're in a covenant. God says we're one. Mm-hmm. And so we listen and we, we get on the same team and we wait till we have the peace of God about the next right step. And uh, if you're in covenant with somebody, and uh, some, sometimes that person will say, well, I don't have a witness about that. I'll go with whatever you be, believe the Lord is telling you. That happens many times. Listen to the voice of God, the word of peace. So that's that inner assurance, the confirmation comes, wait until you hear, get peace from the Lord. But what is it, Pastor? Why is it that my peace gets disturbed sometimes? What is going on when I begin to have a little check on the inside of me? Why, why does my peace uh, get disturbed? Well, I mean, understand that what the Bible calls our old man, the flesh, that those old ways of thinking and speaking and behaving, the Bible calls the flesh. <clears throat> That will rise up. The the word says that the spirit and the flesh are constantly at war with one another. The spirit strives against the flesh. The flesh strives against the spirit. So our peace can get disturbed by our own flesh. That is the desire to do what we want to do at anybody else's expense. Our flesh can disturb our peace and we begin to uh, walk in anger, anxiety, uh, just any number of things that are of the flesh. Well, Romans chapter 8 tells us this, that, (laughs) boy, the mind of the flesh is death. If I walk in the flesh... I'm going to just, I'm going to kill everything. I'm sure going to kill my peace. But the mind of the Spirit is life and peace. So it's the flesh that will, that will trouble me and cause me not to walk in peace. And sometimes it's the devil. Remember what Jesus said? He comes to steal, 
kill and destroy. And remember this, most of the time in the life of a believer, since he can't keep you out of hell, he wants to disturb your peace. If he can rob your peace, then he gets you off balance and you're not going to win in those battles that we have to go through. Disturbing of the peace can come from the flesh and uh, it can come from the devil. So what we need to do, and I've asked the Lord to do this, I encourage you to do it. Ask the Lord to show you where your peace is disturbed. Ask the Lord to give you the spirit of discernment and ask you why your peace is disturbed and ask him if it's your own flesh yearning against the spirit or if it's a demonic attack, ask the Lord to show you uh, what is going on here, why your peace is disturbed. But understand this, that sometimes, sometimes your heart can get troubled and lead to good results. And then it's usually because <clears throat> there's that inner voice of the Spirit that will tell you some things sometimes <clears throat> that uh, shake you out of your comfort zone. Listen, folks, listen. There's popular teaching and preaching that would, would kind of purvey the idea that if you're listening to the Holy Spirit, He will never rock your world or never get you out of your comfort zone. It's all peace and comfort. That's not right. That's not right. I don't care how popular it is. It's not right. Let me show that to you. The Lord is showing me some passages here. Let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 7. This is going to speak to some of you. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, Paul's second letter to the Corinthians. Wow. Notice what, this is the apostle now. God trusted him to write 13 books of the New Testament under the direction of the Spirit. Verse 5, chapter 7, 2 Corinthians. For indeed, when we came to Macedonia, our bodies had no rest. You know what Paul's saying? We were physically worn out. How many of you can say, I know what that feels like. We were physically worn out. Paul says that. We were troubled on every side. Now, the word for trouble there, I got it in your outline. That word for troubled is thlebo. Thlebo. It means to afflict, to compress. It means there was so much pressure on us on the inside, we just, we just felt afflicted. We, we, we felt compressed. We, we didn't have a, a, a moment of peace. We were troubled on every side. Outside of us, there were conflicts. There's just all kind of problems and issues everywhere you go. You ever feel like when you get up, there's a problem waiting to happen? You can't even get out of the house till boom, there it is, right in your face. The apostle is saying there were conflicts on the outside in our circumstances. Listen to this. Inside were fears. What? The apostle Paul had fears. That's what he said. He's talking about, he's talking about we, me and my compatriots, we were physically exhausted. 
We had problems everywhere we turned. We were absolutely emotionally stretched and we were afraid. I wish a lot of popular preaching would stop putting people in guilt about having some fears they got to face. You got skin on, you're going to face some fears. It's not that you have it, it's what you do with it. Paul said we had fears. We, we were shaken up. I mean, if you go by this description right here, troubled on every side, full of conflicts, full of fears, how many of you would say, well, boy, that is my ideal of a Christian? Listen, the, Jesus didn't call the church to be a museum for the saints. He called it to be a hospital. And uh, the Word of God and the Spirit of God is our healer. Now, no, notice this, verse 6. Nevertheless, God, in all this stuff, who comforts the downcast. Hallelujah. If you're oppressed or depressed, go before God who comforts the downcast. Notice how he did it. He comforted us by the coming of Titus. Wow, wow, wow. You know what I'm saying, Bob? God used an agent with skin on to, to encourage us and comfort us. Are, are, are you troubled on the inside? Ask God who your Titus is. God has already put at least one Titus in your life somewhere to comfort you, to encourage you, to counsel you. And notice what Titus did. Paul said, Titus came to us and he told us about all the love that you Corinthians have for us. He told us, about, he encouraged us by letting us know your growth that the fruit of our labor was not in vain. Sometimes you need to know that those prayers you're praying for your children who are struggling are not in vain, don't you? Sometimes somebody has got to be sent from God to say to you, you keep it up, God is at work, regardless of what you're seeing, the Lord has got this. So not only look for your Titus, but sign up to be a Titus. God, who are you going to use me to encourage and to comfort by the power of the Holy Spirit? You can't give what you hadn't received. But ask the Lord to send that encouragement, even if it's an agent with skin on, and then become an active agent of encouragement and comfort. In verse 7, we see not only by his coming, but by the, by the encouragement, the consolation which, by which he was comforted in you when he told us of your earnest desire, your mourning, your zeal for me, that I rejoiced even more. Watch this now. Listen. Watch this. For even if I made you sorry with my letter, I do not regret it. Though I did regret it, for I perceive that the same epistle made you sorry 
though only for a while. Some of you have been led by the Lord to confront people you love. What's the letter he's talking about? 1 Corinthians. He lit them up. Some of them were getting intoxicated at the Lord's table. They didn't use juice. That's free information. Some of them were desecrating the Lord's table by becoming intoxicated when they were supposed to be worshiping. There There was such immorality in the church such sexual sin on many accounts, but on one account, a man was, ah, man, the Word of God spoils it out. He was having sexual relationships with his stepmother. The church knew incest was going on and wouldn't address it. wouldn't address it. Why should the body of Christ address sexual sin? Because if we don't address it, we're going to get corrected by God and we're going to lose the anointing of the Spirit of God in our midst. So what happened? The apostle wrote a letter to this group of believers and he really corrected them big time. And then he said, you know what? I stepped back and I was kind of sorry that I wrote it. He said, because I know it made you feel bad. It made you sorry. But then he said, I waited it out and God used it for the purpose for which I sent it. Hallelujah. God can do what you can't do. And you may make somebody troubled. You may make them sorry. But here's what the apostle said. Eventually, by God's providence, that letter I wrote you didn't just make you sorry. It caused you to sorry unto to sorrow unto repentance. You came to repentance. When you speak the truth in love, don't back off and wish you hadn't done it. God is at work. I said, God is at work, and he's not finished yet. Amen. So sometimes, Paul's saying, we got all this, we got troubled But when we got troubled, God sent us an agent of encouragement and comfort. My goodness. So would you say that troubling was bad or sin? No. All right. Let's take another look here. Go to John. Go back to the left to John 11. See, these are the things that stirred me up because I began to find scriptures that talked about Jesus being troubled. Wait a minute. 
What we've got to understand is that there, we don't know this in our English, but in the Greek there are three different words for troubling, and it helps us understand a little better. John eleven thirty three. The occasion, let me, let me find my own passage here. The occasion was Jesus coming to the sisters he loved who were grieving about their brother Lazarus. And when they met him and talked to him, verse 33, therefore when Jesus saw her, Mary, the mother of Lazarus, when Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who came with her weeping, he groaned in the spirit and was what? Troubled. Wait, the Son of God. Troubled. Jesus, troubled. That word, it's in your outline, there's a different word for troubled. It's called terasso in the Greek, and it means stirred. He saw what was going on to the people he loved, and it just stirred him up. It agitated, it churned his spirit. You ever seen an old-time washing machine that just agitates everything? But it gets the job done. So the Lord's spirit began to be agitated and stirred up. And he said, Lazarus, you come forth. And he who was dead came out bound head to toe and lived again. Sometimes the troubling in your inner man is to get you to do something, to move to take action. It's terrasso. It just won't let you rest. It's the troubling in your spirit to get something done, to act. That's not bad, nor sin. It's, it's the Spirit of God that sometimes troubles your spirit. Let's go to John 12, the next verse, uh, the next chapter, chapter 12, verse 27. We know this very well, Jesus facing the cross. Chapter 12, verse 27, Jesus said, now my soul is troubled. Jesus my soul is troubled. That's that same word, terasso. It's, irrita it's irritated. It's, it's agitated. It's wanting to do something. And then he says, what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose, I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. My spirit was stirred. Now we know why. Listen, Jesus knew what he was facing. He actually said, 
I could call legions, thousands of angels to deliver me from this hour. I could get out of this. But Father, glorify your name. How many of you know that sometimes you don't get quickly delivered from suffering? No, you don't. Sometimes you don't get quickly delivered from suffering. Sometimes there's a much higher purpose than your own discomfort and your own suffering that God is about that you can't see until it's done. If anybody knows what it's like to cry out and say, God, don't let me have to go through this, it's Dina and, and Steve Franklin. For years. I know what it's like. But I also know what it's like to say, Father, glorify your name. And I know what it's like for fruit to be born, for lives to be changed, for victories to be won this side of that horrific pain. That's not popular preaching. What I'm trying to tell you is this. Understand that when Jesus was troubled in his spirit, he had the choice to get out of it, but he chose because he saw you this morning. He saw every one of you who are watching this online. He saw you. And that troubling and that stirring, out of that, he chose, Father. You know what he's really saying? For their sake, for Betty's sake, for Tom's sake, for Bud's sake, for Jim's sake, for Kathy's sake, for Sandra Jones' sake. For their sake, glorify your name. All right, look at chapter 13. Verse 21. And this one, wow, verse 21. A lot of you are going to identify with this right here now. When Jesus had said these things, he's about to go into the Garden of, of Gethsemane. When Jesus had said these things, he was troubled. There's that word again. In spirit. And he testified and said, most assuredly. He's talking to his disciples. Most assuredly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. Wow. Sometimes I wonder which was the worst pain, being brutally murdered at the cross or being betrayed by one of your most close confidants. That's suffering. 
That's suffering. But what did Jesus say? In modern English, let's get on with it. Arise, let us go from here. Our translation, let's get on with it. Man, are you really a disciple or are you a pretender? What about when you have to go through stuff that's so painful, that troubles you? And last, well, I mean, wait a minute. So, in light of this troubling that Jesus experienced, Pastor, what about that John 14, 1? Do not let your heart be troubled. What? But his heart was troubled. My answer to that is Isaiah 53, 5. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. By his stripes we were healed. Listen, and the beating, the chastisement for our peace fell on him. He suffered that we could be at peace. Hallelujah. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. And last in Mark 14, back to your left, in Mark 14. Let's look at verse 33. Mark 14, 33. Jesus took Peter, James, and John. This was in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he began to be troubled. There it is again. Okay, now this is a different word. This is word number three for troubled. We've got, uh, we had phlebo uh, to compress. We had terasso to be stirred and agitated. And this word is adamaneo. Adamaneo. Got it for you in, the, in, in your outline. It means to be heavily distressed, to be heavy and distressed. All of us who've got any maturity to us have been through seasons where we were heavy and distressed. Let's see what happens. Verse 34. Then he said to them, My soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. Stay here and watch. And he went a little farther and fell on the ground. You ever been so troubled? You just fell on the ground. Or you fell over that chair. Or you fell on the table. Just fell on the ground. He was heavy. He was distressed. He went a little farther, verse 35, and he fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. Father, if I don't have to go through this, please release me from this. And then he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what you will. In this stirring there was a response, and that response was the decision that changed all of history and changed me and you. 
and is still changing us today. Out of that troubling and that sorrow, he said, Father, fulfill the purpose for which I'm going through this. Can I ask you something? If you're going through something exceedingly heavy and sorrowful and distressing today, have you gone and have you said to the Father, Father, fulfill the purpose for which I'm going through this? You didn't do it. Wasn't your choices? Why does God let us go through the pain of the choices others make? To conform us to the image of Jesus. That's why we're still here. Wow. Go before the Lord and say, God, not my will but yours be done. I submit to you. Bring forth the fruit that you want to come out of this suffering for your own glory. Of course we can suffer because of our own consequences. We can suffer for choices that we make. But sometimes we get the choice to suffer for the glory of God, for him to do something that only he can do. Peace. What a gift. What a gift. Even righteous troubling is temporary. Do you know that? It's not ongoing. Even when the Lord stirs us and we get troubled to act, it's temporary. It's not ongoing. How we praise you, Lord, for your goodness and your grace. Bow your heads with me, please. The peace of God that passes all understanding. The shoes of peace. The enemy will attack us there very frequently to disturb and remove that peace because that is, whoo. Do you know in that Roman soldier first century Paul was talking about, they had spikes in the soles of their shoes. And those spikes were to keep them grounded when they were pushed around. And you know what it also did? When they did get knocked down, laying flat on their back, they could use those spikes upside down as a weapon. From the flat of their back position. Oh, what a peace. That peace comes from the Lord, the Spirit of peace. He's the only one that can give it to you. And I'm asking you today, right here in the sound of my voice, wherever you are, would you say to the Lord, Father, in Jesus' name, I thank you that as your son or daughter, I have that peace that is, all, that is in me. And whatever tries to shake me, God, from the outside, I stand firm. And if there's a moving in your spirit to get me out of my comfort zone, even if it means that I'll have to suffer, I'm in, Lord. I'm in. If you've got a greater, greater 
if it can bring you greater glory and results for, for eternity, I'm in. Hallelujah. How many of you would say today, Pastor, I believe the Spirit of God has spoken to me today. In that spirit of peace, I surrender, Lord. I surrender to you. If I can get your peace on the inside, I can go through anything. And if my peace gets troubled, I'm going to start asking the Holy Spirit, why is that? And if it's my flesh or the enemy, I'm just going to take a stand in the Word of God. The Spirit of God, I'm going to draw on that peace that is mine. And if you're giving me an assignment that's bigger than me, I say, Lord, I'm all in. Your peace is all that I need. And even if I'm troubled, it's very temporary. It's to get me moving more and more towards your heart. How many of you would say, Lord, fill me with your peace. I'm all in. Raise your hand. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Let's sing this last chorus together before we go. Peace, peace. God's peace. Let's all stand and sing it together as a word of our testimony. You can access more of Steve Franklin's teachings online at www.sfmin.com.